Hello, my name is Mike Myers, and I play Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, and I wrote the movie Austin Powers International Man of Mystery, and I'm also one of the producers. My name is Jay Roach, and I directed the film Austin Powers. Hi, Jay. <laughs> Eric's Boy is the name of my production company, named after my father, Eric. We shot this in the uh, Valley of Fire near Ladies Las Vegas. Gentlemen, welcome to my underground lair. There's that cat. I have gathered here before me. That's me. <laughs> Dr. Evil. And yet, each of you This idea of shooting Dr. Evil without seeing his face obviously was derived from Thunderball. And when Dr. Evil gets angry, Mr. Bigglesworth gets upset. And when Mr. That lady on the far right is a meter maid because we're trying to think of people who are evil. Now she's on the far left. We got away without showing the pits these guys fall into, but we would have if we'd had more money. <laughs> the uh, stunt guy was uh, Bud Davis, stunt uh, coordinator. Some people might notice that the doctor and the hookman are twins. That's Will Farrell, yay Will, from Saturday Night Live, and Mindy Sterling. Of the groundlings who trained many famous comedians, as well as being a great one herself. I frequently wear that pinky ring. <laughs> and those pants, I've seen them. This was kind of the introduction of Austin's color world, and there's a big clash with this, the black and whites and grays of, of, and silvers of Dr. Evil, and that's very intentional. The uh, original writing of this sequence came very late in the scripting process um, after I saw um, the movie Sweet Charity and I heard the song Soul Bossa Nova. So this became, uh, this wasn't in like any of the first drafts of the movie. This song kind of revolutionized the whole feel of the movie in a lot of ways, even in pre-production before we shot it, because it just added a whole great vibe. Quincy Jones from like 1962. Soul Bossa Nova. Great baby, yeah! That was the ugliest, or how should I say, that was the worst of three sets of teeth. <laughs> we'll talk about the teeth later. This is, of course, the shot from uh, Hard Day's Night. This one was also derived from Hard Day's Night. This whole scene was shot in the back lot at Paramount, and um, the choreographer was Marguerite Derricks. She becomes more important in a little while. Mike starts dancing. That was Mike's idea to pan over and discover him behind one of the magazines. That was a cool shot. Now we come to my favorite shot in the whole movie. The, the flipping bobbies. And this big dance number. Mike tells me they don't have high school brass bands in England, but nobody seems to mind. No, they don't have marching band. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, they have brass bands, but it's usually like, um, you know, miners, you know, coal miners have a <laughs> brass band on high school. Ah, the Jag. Yes. Mr. Bud Davis, stunt coordinator, ladies and gentlemen. Mike had the idea of he jumps into the car, and I think it was Bud who came up with the idea of the front flip. I didn't believe it could be done. And that guy did it for us like six times by the end of the movie. And I thought he was going to hurt his bits and pieces, but he didn't. He came within two inches of that. Yes, I know. Lens. So this is all rear screen, which was very intentional to, to give us the look of an old 60s film. 
Mr. Michael York, ladies and gentlemen. And that optical is a true optical, much like the old films, instead of using video playback, which they always do in the 90s, we, um, we went for a true film optical. Pacific Title did all the opticals and titles for us. Ah, the big boy. <laughs> swinging London, baby. This is all, all of this neon and the big boy were added to that building, which was on the Paramount lot uh, by Dave Johnson's company, Pacific Vision. That's my bum. Using CGI. There's my fabulous bum. Mimi Rogers looking better than ever in that leather fight suit. Yeah, the leather fight suit was a big hit amongst the crew members. Somebody told me she took this job just to wear that suit. Well, she's a very smart woman. <laughs> Dina Appel did the costumes. Amazing job. I think she should be nominated for an Academy Award. That was a fun day. A lot of dancing. We did about 40 takes of uh, dancing. There's Andy Warhol. And there's Jay Roach's favorite shot ever. I, I've had to fight like crazy to get that, my credit over that shot and the way we put this together. Mike doesn't realize it, but we changed the whole order of this scene just so I could have my name over that shot. I don't mind, Jay. Remember the guy almost lost his eye? Amy <laughs> <laughs> Rogers poked this guy like from the Three Stooges right in the eye. We thought his eye was going to come out. We thought we had made somebody partially blind in the name of comedy. But he was the brave stuntman afterwards and finished the scene. Good work, Mrs. Kensington. All right. You can see his knickers in that jump. Where's Dr. Evil, huh? Where is he? I hope people realize that we switched the girl to the guy. Do you think they figured that out? Yes. Okay. Leather suit is hard to run in, she told us. <laughs> There's Mr. Bigglesworth. And now comes the shot we hate. That sign. Those <laughs> that's doors. The, that's we the, hate those doors so much. That's the lamest lettering ever created for a film. We put those sparks on to try to hide, you, hide that. And if you notice, I, uh, I'd never shot a gun in a movie before, so I'm <laughs> blinking on every shot. <laughs> if you freeze frame, Mike's eyes closed are almost every time the gun flashes, which started to be a, a kind of a cool character trait. This is a cool shot. All this stuff is CGI. Again, Dave Johnson did an amazing job mimicking the Apollo 13 launch shots. Those, those shots were derived from Apollo 13 shots. And there's Mr. Bigglesworth, like that Garfield on board. I love these little retro rocket bursts that and take me like back the into re-entry. The heat things, the re-entry heat things. <laughs> I'm very fond of the typing. I'm very glad that ah, Clint Howard, yay! Commander, this Mike spotted this effect in the Thomas Crown Affair. Another, again, a, an old-fashioned film optical, which we both fell in love with and did a lot throughout the film. And Charles Napier is. The Colonel, <laughs> the classic Colonel. never left, sir. He's always offered the same high quality. I love how, like, only for our purposes does the radar blip look like Bob's big boy. <laughs> Nowhere in life does that, got, that ever happen. That always gets a huge laugh when Bob <laughs> no. comes on. The silhouette of Bob. Clint's reprising his role from Apollo 13 here as well. He's very cool, very funny. So is Mr. Napier. Call the president, sir. Prepare the jet. 
Bring my overnight bag. This is the uh, 60s overuse of split screen. Again, a la Thomas Cranifer. If you watch, we had to adjust a little bit of the pacing on. Yeah, Charles. you can see the, the cuts in them, yeah. Using film opticals. Powers volunteered to have himself frozen in case Dr. Evil should ever... I'm a big fan of whenever you sh show England that you play rural Britannia. <laughs> That is a rule. And whenever they go to the to China, it's always da 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 da. And whenever they have Indians, it's always da 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 boom 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 boom. It's just the law, <laughs> and we're law-abiding filmmakers. A lot of this look was derived from Stanley Cooper's 2001, especially that first big shot when they walk into the hallway. The ultimate gentleman spy. That's me holding my bits and pieces. Mike's wearing a merkin. That's right, I am. <laughs> For those of you who know what that is. He could stand there and hold still in an absolute frozen pose for like a minute and a half. Incredible. This was cool. I, uh, it was like going into amniotic fluid, going into this goo. Yeah, he's actually descending into that um, methylcellulose stuff. And we had to hold him under because he, he would become buoyant and float to the top. But it actually became quite relaxing after a while. It was very amniotic. It was kind of like one of those saline isolation tanks. Is that what you said? Yeah. And one of the shots, my uh, my boys <laughs> popped through. You can see my boys <laughs> popped through from behind. We couldn't use that shot. Because I am completely naked there, covered in red dye number two. It always looked like a chick hatching from a, an egg in that shot to me. Now, when you say chick... <laughs> I, I don't mean bird. Okay, I understand. <laughs> I'm hip to your street lingo, Jay. This is pretty shamelessly stolen from Sleeper, but we, um, I just have uh, always loved that film as a, an example of how style can be funny and uh, this whole look of the symmetry and the color scheme and um, the vibe of this was really influenced by Woody Allen. There's a tremendous pressure on us uh, from people who will go nameless who thought that the P went on too long. <laughs> and that is in my favorite thing in comedy, which is comedy torture, when something stops being funny and then becomes funny again. Plus, it was completely motivated by the fact that you'd been asleep for 30 years. I mean, how long of a P would you take after that? Exactly. Everybody. I mean, it is a universal experience. Everybody has a morning P. And if you've been, you know, a sexual Rip Van Winkle like I am... Your morning pee is going to last a good 48 seconds. It is the longest pee on film, I'm pretty sure, though. Yeah, I looked it up. It is. I made some calls. I just love... Uh, yeah, Borshevsky, the generals. Ilya Baskin, his looks are priceless. We could have <laughs> cut a whole film of reaction shots. In fact, we thought about doing this whole film just as reaction shots where... You would never see the person actually speaking, just cut to their face of the people who are listening. That's from watching dailies, <laughs> endless dailies. <laughs> I'm a big believer in action shots. I drove the studio crazy, I think, shooting too many. Uh, the hair is, um, is they put glue on my chest and then they, they um, meticulously, like, you know, put this hair on me. And I was like a yak all day. And it starts to stink by the end of the day. Because the glue and my body odor and just like food gets caught and stuff. <laughs> I turned into this animal. I turned into Sasquatch. It was going to be worse. We, uh, for a while, thought about putting it on his back and 
all over his shoulders. But our both wi- our wives, our wives talked us out of it. <laughs> he said, "No way, nobody's <laughs> going to see the movie with that hairy a back." I mean, I do look yak-like. You got to admit. I love Ilya's reactions, the Russians' reactions during this whole scene. Just kill me. And you remember one of the notes is that uh, the clips are on and then they're off in some of the shots? <laughs> yeah, yeah the, the gaff squad will be tracking those ear clips for a long time. And here comes Elizabeth Hurley, who is... we. Um, I wrote the part, um, and Jay and I both sort of like early in the scripting phase. Uh, we wrote this for Elizabeth Hurley because, um, you know, obviously she's... And, um, you know, she's English, and we thought she was great. And uh, Jay and I had seen her interviewed and, and thought she was ultimately charming, and, and she was just awesome in the movie, came with great ideas, and we had a blast. She actually came up with this whole idea of doing a, a kind of softer, earnest, you know, um, English private school girl as opposed to just the, the, the kind of harsh 90s woman. And she actually added a layer of that, which I, I always loved. She's very charming. She's Julie Christie of the 90s, that's what I always say. Yeah, she was... We had so much fun making this movie. Well, at the same time, experimenting with mind-expanding drugs in a consequence-free environment... She had so much respect for your lines, Mike. She would memorize them. You know, she just was so... English people, English actors are like this for some reason. They just, you know, revere the script. And she was very, very respectful of it. This guy here is my... um, uh, This is Neil Malarkey playing uh, the clerk, and... Uh, he was my comedy partner in England for two years. He's an awesome, awesome, awesome comedian. When I lived in England, he was my partner. We were Malarkey and Myers. For a couple of years, right? Yeah, for two years. He was great. What did we cut out? We cut an item out of this. Was was it the purple socks? Yeah. Purple tie-dyed socks, right? I think so. Or frilly lace cravat. No, the cravat's still there, but the purple tie-dyed socks didn't make the cut. The penis pump made it, though, <laughs> which I'm happy to say. <laughs> it even makes it on TV ads and stuff. I mean, I couldn't believe they've been able to use that. It's actually really funny. I just love that there's a flag of Sweden on it, as if that's <laughs> that's movie proof that it's Swedish. See, there's a flag of Sweden. In the TV version, it's just the enlarger pump. Yes. As if, as if you can't tell what it's supposed to enlarge. Now, this is one of my most satisfying things ever, that this got a big laugh. <laughs> that's a great graphic. Bruce, um, Bruce Mink did did all these mock-ups for these props. And yeah, and like, job. and in no time at all too. He did such an yeah. awesome job. Mike was so used to on Saturday Night Live asking for props at the last minute, and Bruce, although would always have this funny look on his face when we'd ask him, would just always come up with it. It was yeah. amazing. And then there, of course, is Bert Bacharach, which is the inspiration for this movie, because I was driving home from hockey practice and I heard the look of love uh, by Bert Bacharach on the radio, and I just wanted to do a movie in that whole. You know, not the hippie 60s, but the uh, jet setter swinger 60s, the more English, uh, you know, the casino royales and and that whole, you know, blow up and do a movie in that area. And so Mr. Burt Backrack, who will appear later in the, in the cinematic offering, is there in album form. These were inspired by um, uh, Laughing, the TV show Laughing. Just as a, we, we call them the psychedelic scene breaks. And originally we had like 25 in them, then we went down to none, <laughs> then we had like 10, and now I think there's how many? Four? There's four, yeah. And they at one time had titles like It's a Gas and Sock It To Me. And groovy, baby. For one small flaw. 
due to a technical error by my henchman Mustafa, complications arose in the unfreezing process. My design was perfect. Look what you did to Mr. Bigglesworth! Now let's explain the cat. The cat's name is Ted Nudgent. That's his real name, Ted. And I fell in love with this cat. And that's a that's a uh, a breed of cat. Yeah, it was born that way. We didn't shave it. No, uh, no nair was used in the production in the making of this movie. We did, however, shave Mike Myers's head. Yes, that is a shaved head. I used to have to get my head shaved every day. I have blue contacts in, and. Um, makeup applications and elongated um, nose and elongated ears. This is the first time we see his face in the movie. The character is um, based on uh, Donald Pleasance. Blofeld. And, uh, you, know, you know, a combination of all the different uh, James Bond bad guys. The suit's from, a little bit from Dr. No, Blofeld from, is it You Only Live Twice? Or, uh, yeah. Uh, Okay, you've all been gathered here to form oh. my evil cabinet. Excuse me. <laughs> yes, he's down there. I love how those things in the foreground match his bald head. <laughs> They're symmetrical echoes of your cranial physique. The voice is um, Doug Aronowski, our uh, first AD. The voice on the other end of the line. Otherwise known as Doug, Doug Arnie Okoski. Is that his real <laughs> <laughs> Okay, moving on. You shot me right in the arm! Why look, at, look at Ted in this scene. Throughout this whole burn scene, Ted is watching the place where we needed him to watch it, the perfect eye line to establish the illusion that there really was a pit down there. Ted the cat. Right. I love that Let cat so much. It was like holding somebody's ass in your hands because it was very, very warm. It was bizarrely warm. Random Mindy, uh, or how I understand it is to hold somebody's ass. Um, <laughs> help? Mindy was, uh, Mindy's character, Frau Farbissner, was partly inspired by Rosa Krebs, is it? Rosa Kleb. Kleb, and, um, from the Bond films, and um, a little bit from Frau Bruja, I guess. From Frau Blucher? Thank you. From Young Frankenstein. But uh, Mindy added the element of the uh, shouting. Yes. <laughs> This guy is awesome. Paul Dillon. Paul Dillon did an amazing job. And I got a Lucky Charms joke in, which makes me happy. The angry Irishman thing. Bruce came up with the idea. We always thought of it as Lucky Charms, charms, silver charms, at least I did. And Bruce actually came up with the idea of actually coloring them just like the cereal. Making them hearts, moons, clovers, and blue diamonds. The sound guys came up with that great jingle that it makes so that later... When he comes to get Austin, you hear it as a tale. Now, this thing is all improvised by Mindy Sterling. This whole run about Lucky Charms and the little man and he runs. This is all because her background is, she's one of the best improvisers I've ever seen in my life. And she totally just came up with this. Right in the studio. This was on the day. Kids eat them. They think, oh, this is candy. I'm having fun. <laughs> it was your idea to use this silent reaction mic, and I always howl when I see that. Her, her face when. And that cut is crack up. Years, and here we come to RJ, Mr. Robert Wagner, who is a hero. He's just classic. That's the word to describe Robert Wagner. He's just classic. He was so awesome. So we had to come up with a classic shot to introduce him, just walking his feet down those stairs and coming up to that eye patch face. Chemicals to the communications industry. We He's the most precise 
prop spiker, you know, placing props and using props. He just does it over and over exactly the same way. It's amazing. That's an easy skill to underestimate. A lot of this whole um, thing of uh, of how the world doesn't work and all that stuff, um, I um, I called my friend uh, Jack. Oh, this was improvised. Yep. The pulling of the chair, that was all improvised. And came in very late in the editorial process. It was hysterical on the day, but we forgot about it. And the editor went back through and dug it up in the middle of the preview process. And the next time it previewed, it just got howls. Jack Handy... Uh, you know, gave me, uh, generously gave me, uh, you know, a couple of jokes in this whole area. ...outside of marriage and therefore would have to divorce. <clears throat> Prince Charles did have an affair. He admitted it and they are... Dr. Evil is a guy who's, who was so happy in the 50s when world domination and being a square was relatively cool. And my thing with him always was he just... It was really pissed off when the 60s happened because it ruined his parade. And Austin represented the worst side of too much color, too much free-spiritedness, too much sex, <laughs> too much hair. I should like to point out as a vain actor that that suit is heavily padded. <laughs> this, was a, this is my favorite time of uh, shooting, I think, for the whole movie because... Um, uh, Jay had built into the uh, schedule time to improvise, and a lot of how much fun it is is that, you know, while like 70% of it was scripted, 30% I was allowed to just sort of go and, and be free. This was a real fun time. We just got crew that could move fast and adjust to changes very quickly, and that was important. I knew Mike would do some of his best stuff on the fly, and... We just had to make sure there was a lot of film in the camera, and precious, precious things came out of Mike's performance in these scenes. For some reason, Mike, when you go into Dr. Evil, an unusual lucidity happens, a flow that, that you have in other characters, but there's just it's amazing as Dr. Evil. It always blew me away. Oh, thanks. I have an earpiece. <laughs> people are feeding me lines. That must it's, the Marlin, it. it's the Marlon Brando adjustment. <laughs> I thought you were saying the ear, those ear lobes you were, that we attached to that was probably it, just those weird lobes. The makeup took um, like an hour and a half to two hours every morning. Okay, then. We hold One of the, the funniest lines was, um, I'm the boss, need the info, throw me a bone here. I don't think any of those were scripted, that stuff. Throw all me a frickin' bone here. Throw me a frickin' bone here. All came out on the day. Now this is, they just did such a great job with the exterior of the jet. We were inspired a bit by um, the Hugh Hefner syndrome of you're as cool as your jet. <laughs> Where did the finger thing come from, Mike, the Dr. Evil finger thing? Mm, uh, just, uh, you know, all uh, great bad guys have some sort of affectation. But isn't that what being an international man of mystery is all about? Okay, name. Austin Danger Powers. Sex? Yes, please. So the jet is Austin's lair preserved. Um, and we, I always hoped that we could afford to make it all white fur. We watched a film called um, Danger Diabolique where the guy had a huge white spinning bed, you know, and would make love to women covered with money. <laughs> but we couldn't, we couldn't afford to do it exactly that way. I remember I was very against the pumpkin jacket. <laughs> and gave in. 
we called it pumpkin because Mike hates orange. <laughs> yes, I, I hate orange. <laughs> I hate the number three and I hate orange. You see, I'm insane. <laughs> just just ribbing you. One of the cool things about this movie was trying to mythologize Austin Powers and giving this whole legendary, legendary status by giving him a certain kind of women, a certain kind of transportation, having people chase him all around and revere him. And that was actually a blast. We, we really loved this character. I mean, I, obviously Mike loved him, but I really, really loved this character and, and tried to embrace him and, and not just parody characters like him, but pay tribute to characters like this and, and to Austin in particular. Do I make you horny? It was the first scene we shot in the movie, and... It was the first day. First scene, first day. Yeah. And uh, there were a lot of things we were just getting used to, but I love I love the performances. I love what you do with the spinning bed, and I loved her performance right here when she jumps off the bed and lectures you, because it could have easily gotten too harsh and predictable, and she really is just totally charming, even as she's cussing you out. I thought it was great. Can I just say that I've never said cussing you out ever in my life? What's your point, Vanessa? This is the uh, Mike Flowers Pops. A kind of faux lounge band that's very popular in England. This was all improvised. Uh, we just turn on that bed and <laughs> let Mike do what he does, and that's some of my favorite footage in the whole movie. If it didn't look like you were coming back, we should try to make you a son. So that this is an interesting scene because this scene was actually tied into the other scene. And this, uh, this scene was like the first time you see all these people and it got cut in two. I don't know how interesting that was, actually. I'm, I'm backpedaling now. Well, it's, it's interesting in that, that it's one of my favorite cuts in the movie to cut to her saying, remember when we froze your semen? Because it just comes so far out of the blue. Yeah, because that's my favorite introduction to any scene. <laughs> remember when we froze your semen? God, if I had a nickel for every time I started a scene with remember when we froze your semen, I'd have 30 cents. Seth Green did a great job with this character. And now you come back and just expect a relationship? I love the Kurt Cobain t-shirt. Yeah, he came to play. He's a cool guy, Seth. No. Give me a hug. No way. This was all improvised, this whole relationship. I mean, there were scripted lines, but Mike made up all of this stuff, including... The Macarena. <laughs> including the which was a, a song we played on the set to cheer us up, you know, in, in, the day, in the times when things were going too slow or something. And Mike and the sound guy had a joke about it, and it would always blast over the speakers at the least opportune time. Exactly. When we were, like, bored or waiting on a light or something, I'd go, I think it's Macarena time! Decca, 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 decca. Although we probably have to edit this out of the tape because it technically can't be. It's a Macarena-like song. And legally we found out that it isn't Macarena. So any of you nerds out there... Who want to sue us? We've already been down this path. This is a great song, Masquerada. Is it uh, just performed by Brazil '66, or was it um, actually written by the guy from that band? I can't remember. Me either. I just like it. <laughs> it is a great song. It's so Vegas. This was a fun night. This was actually shot in Vegas. We shot in. Uh, both the Riviera, which is where Casino was shot, and Stardust. That exterior was from the Stardust. Now, this is a scene that was in and out about, what, five times. 
opportunity. It was in the movie and then out of the movie and sharing a room is to keep up the context that we're a married couple on vacation. I'm glad it stayed because it again defines the the job she has in a really funny way. But do it. Do you like to wash up first? You know. I also like that I got to say undercarriage. Undercarriage, a bit of a how's your father. I hope you'll never explain what how's your father <laughs> means because it's just funny to me people that it's so can, odd. <laughs> people can barely understand what undercarriage is, let alone how's your father. That was inspired by my wife, those individually bagged clothing items with labels. She travels a lot. And she's a little neurotic. That's the biggest. That's the second biggest gun I've ever seen in my life, paging Dr. Freud. How did this get in and here? alas, the so penis pump. What scene would be complete? Now this scene actually went on for another like yeah. ten minutes. There was a whole thing where you dialed up seven 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 film and found out what that was all about in the nineties. It was really funny. This was a fun night, too, because in between shots, we were gambling. Remember, we were like... It was hard keeping the crew focused because we'd turn around and half of them would be over at the slots. <laughs> I know, it was fun. And winning, the camera operator was like this guy with which a is, horseshoe up his butt, as Mike says. Which is really hard to pull somebody away when they're on such a great streak and just remind them that we're actually doing a motion picture. Could you tweak this light? we got to shoot. Hold on, hold on. Ding, 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 ding. Now this, I remember for the rest of my life, was the noisiest... Oh my god. Remember they decided to reload the slot machines during shooting and suddenly there was this clanging and little trains going by with silver dollars and it was a nightmare. And RJ had a terrible cold and uh, we got to his close-ups last and the ultimate professional and gentleman that he is, he was totally like I mean just look and he's so awesome in this scene. That's Larry Thomas, the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. And Fabiana Udenia. Udenia, who plays a lot of vagina. A lot of vagina. vagina. At one time we thought about changing it to a lot of clavage, but we realized we were wimping out. And I think that was me who said that. And Mike wisely insisted that it remained vagina. A lot of vagina. Although clavage was funny too. That's a good backup. We just didn't know if it would be PG or PG-13. Cards are not my bag, baby. Allow myself to introduce. Now, this is a weird joke, because I would never have thought that this would have ever stayed in the movie. Allow myself to introduce myself. <laughs> I always got a huge laugh. I know, I was so happy. Look at that eye patch. Look at RJ. That white tux. I mean, that is so beautiful. It's so classic. Come again. A lot of vagina. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm just not getting it. It sounded like you said your name was a lot of... Um... This was a fun night, too. This was like um, our second to last night, right? Yeah, I think the last night was on the bus. Yeah, this yeah. was the second to last. But everyone was so tired. We shot most of it at like 5 in the morning because that was the only time the casinos were even vaguely quiet. But It was so noisy. They were never quiet enough. And everybody had a cold by the end of this. Everybody had a terrible flu because we were up all night. It always makes me happy that people understand enough about blackjack to know that when you, <laughs> when you uh, stay on a five, that is actually a kind of a strange choice. You didn't happen to see anything at all. This is a lot of people's 
favorite scene in the movie, and um, it's Mike does this amazing job imitating a something that's not going on, and Tom Arnold just came up with some of the, the funniest stuff. Yeah, Tom Arnold improvised and and uh, came up with um, uh, courtesy flush and uh, uh, blowing an O-ring, just all on on his feet. It was so great. So much of it played so well on his face, too, just the reactions as he was misinterpreting what was going on next door. I look very Partridge family there. No, I'm English. I love that line. I look very um, Shirley Jones in that outfit. Hey, partner. I love that neither you nor he take off your jackets before you sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, this uh, joke is rather self-evident, isn't it? Um, He, of course, uh, thinks that I'm uh, having a bowel movement and, uh, in fact, I'm fighting for my life. This is a guilty pleasure. You got, I mean, I just, you know, I just thought it was funny. In a way, it's the smartest bathroom humor ever. Who does? Yeah, that, that's it. Yes, it's the smartest. Yay for us. Yay for us. Because <laughs> it's not really bathroom humor. There's no actual bodily functions occurring. No, he just thinks there are. That's the joke. Yeah. Bite your lip and give it hell. Come on. We're going to get through this. Who does number two? Hey, that, that sounds pretty nasty. Show that to his boss was scripted. That's also gets a huge laugh. It's just funny to go through the thing and, and tell people at home what gets big laughs and what doesn't. <laughs> oh, yeah. They'd have no choice in the matter now. now. You don't necessarily have to include this. Yeah, you're going to like this, too. You're going to like my ass being sad. <laughs> I'm telling you. The guy was hung upside down. The stunt guy on that toilet all day long. Did a great job. To the United Nations Security Secret Meeting Room. Cynthia Charette designed these sets. Uh, Martin Marvell was one of the designers too. Um, I always loved Doctor Evil's world. We went for jagged corners and black, shiny surfaces and grays. My favorite shot in the movie was that one because it's the thing in those '60s movies where everybody's in their national costume. And because I'm from Canada, I wanted to make sure there was a Mountie. Sorry. One hundred billion dollars! The trailer guys, the guys who cut the uh, preview for this movie, actually helped us with the sound effects on this. I love that there's a big when the camera zooms into his face. I always thought there would be a music sting, but the whip sound turned out to be the best. There's Gorbachev on the right there. We put the Israeli guy with the um, guy from Egypt, and it's a kind of gesture for world peace. Yeah, and I think we've done tremendously for world peace by doing that. $100 billion richer. (laughs) Now, this was another scene that there was a tremendous amount of pressure on us to make very, very short. And we insisted on it being long. I think it worked out okay. I think it works out great. 
I've always wondered what would happen. You know, you always see the, the evil guy laughing and stuff. What happens when he's finished laughing? What does he do? How do you segue into new conversation? It's like, okay, listen, uh, who wants to go watch some TV? Hello, Vanessa. And how's Austin? Mad about you, Zahn. Let's go see Mad About You. You didn't? No. I made him sleep on the sofa. Vanessa. Jay, you want to take this one? Explain how, how this got done. Originally, it was scheduled for something like two or three days, and Mr. Roach came up with a way to do this scene in basically a day, half a day. Yeah, we shot it in a day. We rehearsed a couple of times, but the trick that ultimately made it doable was placing some hidden monitors around the set with reverse scan so when Elizabeth looked into the monitor it was as if she were looking into a mirror and that enabled her to to move things but with two different eye lines so that it's clear that that's the thing that sells it is the two different eye lines that's the part that is such, such a great idea when she looks around from monitor to monitor it kind of makes it feel like she's just looking around the room naturally instead of having her eyes fixated on one monitor in particular you didn't answer my question mummy I know now we're coming up to again <laughs> one of my favorite jokes in the piece is the sausage ah the sausage paging dr freud paging dr freud we shot this numerous times and elizabeth had to bite off the end of about 25 sausages but she's english and she didn't mind she got through it we originally we were going to do it all in one take and actually f fulfilled that we we shot the whole thing once all the way through without any goof-ups or any naughty bits showing through, but ended up deciding that it worked better cut to cut up, cut back to Mrs. Kensington. And this is a scene, too, the joke with the um, pussycat, that we had to shorten the length of time between pussy and cat in order to get a PG-13, <laughs> which is so asinine when you think about it. Because he used to say, I never forget a pussy. Cat. cat. And then we have to go, never forget a pussycat. <laughs> We only made, like, three changes for them, and that was one of them. I guess they were just... Well, it is so innocent. I mean, this isn't a dirty movie. This was the uh, last night Ladies of shooting. And gentlemen, Mr. Bert... It was a, such a magical night, having Bert Backrack up on this bus, driving up and down the Strip in Vegas all night, and people literally standing in awe as we rode by and, and what the world needs now, blasting from the speakers so Bert could sing along with it. It was... This was cool. This was the perfect way to end the movie. After every take, in dailies, Mike, you can see Mike and Elizabeth go over and sit down on the piano and hug Bert. And it was, it was partly funny, but it was partly sincere. He was just, it was just like having, you know, a deity on this bus with us. We all revered him so much, and he, he was, was so awesome. He was such, he was so into it too. He was up all night long, flew in just for us, and left immediately afterwards. You know, off to, to see his his racehorses and stuff, and he was. Right there, just completely burnt. But that night was my favorite heckle, because as the bus was going by, somebody on the street, this drunken idiot, starts shouting, Hey, drink beer! <laughs> drink beer! Just drink it! That's, I, I said to him, that's your heckle? Drink beer? Hey, drink beer! Oh, go on, Austin, get on with oh, her! I'm going to do it. Do you want me to do it? Oh, go on! Do you want me to do it? Yes! Okay. Oh. Right hand green! Ow. Oh, no. No. Is Twister still a game? Can you still buy Twister? No, there's laws prohibiting it. Oh, you know what? Wait a tick, I forgot something in the lobby. 
People always wonder if there's any trick here other than just Mike doing this, and there isn't. He, he's behind that couch just using his legs to make it's this happen. The going down the stairs, which was invented by Mr. Dick Van Dyke, ladies and gentlemen. I think he did it on an episode of Dick Van Dyke, and I tried hours and hours to try to learn how to do it. And I used to entertain. I used to live in a uh, uh, co-op housing in Toronto, and there was a center court, and uh, I used to do this to make girls laugh. When we previewed in Westwood, the film broke, and the audience was trapped, and we were we were terrified that it was going to ruin the preview. And Mike went down in front and did these live spontaneously for the audience. They freaked out. Well, I'm sorry. Why? I'm sorry that bugger. This is one of, of the, the most special scenes in the film for me because you really get a, a great glimpse into the heart of Austin Powers. And part of it is that you get it through her eyes, which, which is why the relationship was so important to us. We knew that if, if we could fall in love with her, with him through her eyes, that, that you have an access to Austin that would that give him license to be as outrageous as he, as he wanted to be all the rest of the time. And the warmth that the... Um, the montage and the night with Bird on the bus bring into this scene just perfectly sets up that she's actually falling in love with this guy. And and then, of course, he undercuts it at the end with that train has sailed. I can't. The glasses um, is uh, a combination of um, some of the uh, stuff that Peter Sellers did and also Michael Caine in... Uh, all those 60s movies. They always had those uh, National Health Service of Britain glasses. And of course, the mutton chops, the sideboards, sideburns. Very 60s, by the way. And the teeth are very English. Yes. Well, you know what they say Britain won the war and lost their teeth. They're dentally challenged. We had three sets of them a, a real ghastly set for close ups, uh, all the way down to a, a, a kind of. Uh, for comedy close-ups to a kind of sweet set that we used in the romantic scene so that girls wouldn't cringe as she kissed him. Okay, Austin needs his head. You've got mail. Hello, Austin. I only put this in so I could get a free year subscription to AOL. Which has worked out great for both of us. I want you to find out what part Virgicon plays in something called Project There's Mr. York. I need you to go to a lot of vaginas penthouse immediately. Now, this was a really happy accident that the exterior of the Imperial Palace uh, matches the interior of this place that was a filtration. It was in the middle of a filtration yeah. park a, or something. They had a little park to kind of dress up the front of this sewage treatment facility. And, I know. And it's and it's Van, so bad. And Van Nuys, right near the airport. So planes are flying by. Stinks real bad. Mike's hair is dissolving into the hot tub. Austin's hair. And um, But then we went to Vegas, and the uh, we happened to find a location to match the rice paper look of the Japanese penthouse. But it was just a constant state of, uh, hello, hello. <laughs> Just total planes on every shot. Every single line had to be redubbed. They flew in so close you could hear their radio talking back and forth of the tower. It was amazing. It's outrageous. Every 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 plane in Southern California flew over that day. It was like uh, we were being attacked. Cunningham, was it? Your boss. 
Number two. I understand that cat's involved in... I'm just going to remember the lines that... How did you know? ...we didn't use here, but... This shot um, was inspired by one of my favorite shots in film history, the graduate shot looking under the leg of Anne Bancroft at Dustin Hoffman. Oh, behave. It took us like three hours to get her to hit exactly that mark. It was a very, very precise mark. And this is um, very reminiscent of uh, Casino Royale with Peter Sellers and uh, Ursula Andress. There's versions of that scene that are would have totally killed our PG-13. We actually see a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of vagina. Um, I peed in that bath, by the way. I just thought now's the time to come clean. And I'll show you everything you need to know. This was improvised as well, the getting out of the clothes. That hair, that hair was the bane of my existence. The glue in the hair just stunk so bad at the end of the day. Glue, hair, and B.O. are a deadly combo, and food. By the end of that shoot, that water had it was sort of a sickly green with <laughs> with, with a slick on it, with a slick and just gobs of hair floating. Hair out. and glue it was foul. And they had and to I, keep being sexy and seductive. I smelled through. so bad. Such bo. It was a bit of a trick preserving the PG-13 through this. You can never tell when the water was going to slosh a certain way. She was a good sport about it. Japan. Yeah, she was great. Men come first and women come second. Or sometimes not at all. <laughs> These were the class 10 teeth here. These are the, the utmost. Yes. Clinky. Clinky. <laughs> some people say, um, does she say care for some sucky? That's what I got. A lot of that. No, it's sake, in fact. Mm. And now we're coming up to um, another great moment in the movie. And here we are. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. You're very kind. How dare you break wind before me? The great thing about the script for me was that there was room for some really smart humor, particularly with Dr. Evil, but that it... Because of Austin's character, we had license to do some of the most primitive humor you could possibly imagine, what Mike always called the reptilian humor as, compo as compared with the mammalian. There's a whole backstory to that uh, fart in the bath that got cut out, which makes it seem even more random. There's a whole thing that we went through all of the stuff of being on Frozen, you know, uh, you know short-term memory loss, uh, uh, dry mouth, uh, you know, inopportune flatulence. There was like this whole thing that just got cut out. So by the time we got to it, you just looked insane that he farted in the tub. Battle Exposition used to, Michael York's character used to explain to Mike as he was being unthawed that flatulence at times of extreme relaxation were one of the side effects. So that was going to set up what happened in the hot tub later, but it ultimately didn't seem to be necessary. 
It's a fart joke. <laughs> and America, I'm sorry. You keep saying you got something for me. We knew that the best way for Austin to uh, have to fight his way into the underground lair in the end of the movie would be to fight through things that would take advantage of his weaknesses. And since he had weak, a weakness for women, Dr. Evil has Frau Farbissina invent the Fembots, which is partly inspired by Castle Anthrax in the Monty Python movie, The Holy Grail. And Well, really, it's um, the, uh, the uh, Dean Martin ambushers and... Uh, uh, what was the other um, Matt Helm movies? And the Armand Flint and then like Flint, the James Coburn yeah. films. That's sort of where the character of the women, but the idea of uh, <laughs> of women knowing exactly what his weakness was. And there was a lot of controversy splitting. about those costumes, I remember, because everybody thought they looked like Barney Fife. The cops' costumes? Yes. The Barney Fife costumes, they came to be known. But Mike thought that they would set you in a, a period of films where all the cops wore those costumes. I think he's absolutely right. The quality of their characters, two meetings, caliber, homonym. Forget it. At ease, boys. This is so funny that uh, you have to get out the budget stretcher. And the makeshift headquarters is the exact same as the, as the other room. Just whipped on a British flag and some military stuff. It's the exact same. It's the same hotel room that we saw them unpacking earlier. And it's not clear whether it matters. Some people think that it is the same hotel room and they just brought in all of the equipment. And I think either interpretation is all right. But it was supposed to be two separate rooms. We were hoping that people would notice the room number. <laughs> No, it's a different number, see? Like as if anyone cares. Austin, let me bring you up to speed. Dr. Evil has hijacked a nuclear warhead from Kreplakistan. Only two things scare me, and one is nuclear war. This was a joke that was out at one point. And put back the, other thing that scares you? the carnies. Carnies. What? Small hands. Circus folk. Nomads, you know. Smell like cabbage. Small hands, you know. Indeed. Perhaps these photographs are the last piece of the puzzle. Aha. Uh -huh. I've uncovered the details of Project Vulcan. Oh, good God. An underground missile? Austin, where did you find these? Austin did some reconnaissance work last night at a lot of vaginas, penthouse. Oh. Our next move is to infiltrate... First. It's a good thing to point out that this lady that gets punched is a professional stunt woman. And she was in no way harmed, although on one of the takes, she did sort of roll into that doorway <laughs> a little hard. But she's a stunt woman. <laughs> We're laughing because it's just so hard. It was very hard for me to direct this scene um, because just seeing her punched, I mean, she was a stunt woman, but she obviously was, you know, still a sweet lady stunt woman. And... <laughs> But she, she is actually moving her head. I'm not doing any moving at all. She's flicking her head back to make it look like I'm pulling on her hair because she's like... She was the sweetest lady of all, and just we had to make it look like we were really punching her and torturing her over and over and over all night. But she actually came up in the, uh, in the end and thanked us and was really, really happy to do no, it. No, she, she's a pro. I mean, she knew what she was doing. 
It's just an odd situation where you're standing around on a set trying to figure out how to make it look realistic the way our head snaps back and <laughs> all that stuff. That's, um, that girl, Sarah, looks exactly like um, Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn from mm-hmm. Laughing. We, we cast her to, to make that homage. I love you, Dad. I love you too, son. And then, of course, we have the wonderful Carrie Fisher. Who just knocked us out of the park? I thought she did a great job. Okay. I found myself directing her the way Gene Hackman directed her character in Postcards from the Edge. She seemed to appreciate that. Evil, actually. Doctor, evil. Hello, Hello, Scott. That guy was great, the guy on the left. So, Scott, why don't we start with you? This was always a controversial scene because it was such a tangential kind of left-field move, but once we put in the sequence breaks and, and kind of established license to, uh, to go places, I thought the script was really smart to, to have this departure and to go off into this world of, well, what is the henchman's... I mean, what is Dr. Evil's life like when his son comes into it and what kind of relationship would they really have? I thought that was really, really smart. You know, it's interesting. I got a uh, a tennis ball in my hand because in the early, early drafts of the movie, um, the reason that Mustafa gets killed is because um, my right arm was partially frozen, like um, like everything got frozen except my right arm. So it was like me constantly trying to get my arm back in strength. And of course, it doesn't make any sense now that I've got this tennis ball. We might say that we do sometimes. You might want to not put that into the <laughs> story. Actually, the boy's quite astute. I really am trying to kill him, but so far... We should just make up something that's totally different. Um, the tennis ball was a part of Dr. Evil's philosophy of evil, and it kind of goes along with... It's the world. Uh, the tennis ball is the world, and he's manipulating the world. Yeah, that's it. The details of my life are quite inconsequential. Oh, no, please, please. Let, let's hear about your childhood. Seth Green was so great in this scene. So. Very well. Where do I begin? There's, this scene was, like, way longer. It was, like, three times as long, and this speech at one point was all improvised, but we uh, had to cut down for time. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink... He would make outrageous... This story is just... Um, this was written in the very first draft, and then it constantly got rewritten over and over again. And it just... Uh, I don't know, it just came. Just was one of those things where I just started, you know, talking. My childhood was typical. Summers in Rangoon, luge lessons. In the spring... <laughs> of all the daisies in the background and stuff. When I was insolent, I was placed in a burlap bag and beaten with reeds. Pretty we wanted to have the world be as normal and sort of 30-something as possible so that the contrast of Dr. Evil and who he was in his underground diabolical chamber would be as great as possible. So the perfect setting seemed to be an elementary school that had been converted for the weekend into a father-son counseling session. Austin, can I have a word with you? Of course you may, love. Look, I know I'm being neurotic, but I can't shake off this suspicious feeling about that Italian secretary. You know, Miss Vagina. I, I don't want to sound paranoid, but I've had some bad relationships in the past, and I have to... Again, this was one of those choices where 
you could dress her up in a, a kind of real slinky lingerie thing of, of some sort, but the choice was to go with this sort of man's pajamas look, which on someone like Elizabeth was just way sexier and, and also adorable at the same time. Of course. I have a 9 millimeter automatic. You know I meant, did you use a condom? <laughs> Only sailors use condoms, baby. Not in the 90s, Austin. Well, they should, those filthy beggars. They go from port to port. Well, Vanessa, don't have a thrombo. A lot of meant nothing to me. Well, it means something to me. We felt like it would be great to see Austin get a slap once and then feel the sting of it. And throughout this next little sequence, you really get a sense that Austin is suffering a little for being such a misfit. It's not really a, a fish-out-of-water story so much as it is a, a guy who brings the, the, the crazy colored water with him to the, to the land, and to, this, to this era. But this is one place where he really is completely, uh, you know, on thin ice to, to mix metaphors and, and sort of floundering a little bit. And, and that vulnerability, again, really helped the character, I think. Now, when you said flounder, you meant that to sound fish-like, right? Because I don't think he's a fish out of water. I think he's a sexual moray out of water. <laughs> and by moray, I mean both eel and norm. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for clarifying. I don't know. This was originally going to be uh, 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 Austin drinking Zima. It was going to be that he's like trying to fit in so he has a Zima. <laughs> <laughs> but they wouldn't let us. Because they kind of quickly figured out that we were making fun of Zima. <laughs> At first they're like, great, Zima in the movie, that'll be wonderful. And then you realize that he's kind of like an idiot trying to fit in. Oh, well, they're too smart, these people. In my day, product placement people didn't know the context with which their product was used. I had, uh, at the end of the scene, I had uh, flour in my nostrils for, like, four months. I was having, like, little pastry boogers come out of me. <laughs> I felt like uh, the guy from Poppin' Fresh, though, the little Pillsbury guy. There was literally a gun, an air gun of great power and force right off to the side of the Shooting tennis shoe. flour up into my nasal passage. I still think there's like a croissant up there. <laughs> Minister, end of apartheid. Yeah, and I can't believe Liberace was gay. And then women loved him. I didn't see that one coming, no. The tour is about to begin, so if you please take your seats. Welcome to Virtucon, company of the future. Virtucon is a leading manufacturer. This is Patrick Bristow, great comedian. Another Groundlings guy. He's also on Ellen. Right. The, the joke here that I always liked was that there's a tour through this building, but you never see anything. And it literally goes from the front door of the lobby to the back end of the lobby. To the gift shop. <laughs> to the gift and it's like a three-second tour. <laughs> there you go, everyone. All right, thanks. Bye. Buy something at the gift shop. I just love that everything in the 90s now has a gift shop and merchandising, including the legitimate face of an evil empire. It's a theme park of a, of a lobby of a, of a business building.
It's Bolton. I just thought there should be a steamroller testing facility within <laughs> Virtucon. We wanted to play around a little bit with the scale, uh, sort of like in um, Broadway Danny Rose when they go into the warehouse and have the fight around the big helium Macy's parade. May, May, what's that parade called? Macy's um, Thanksgiving Day Parade. This is this next shot is great. I love this shot. Watch out! Watch out! The uh, this was an idea by uh, a friend of mine, um, uh, Steve Hibbert, uh, gave me this joke of uh, the idea of a high-speed chase only done on steamrollers. Oh, thank goodness we made it, Austin. All right, stay very cool, baby. Every underground lair has to have a secret entrance in the mountains. This was a uh, generating station uh, that we were told would not be on during filming. And of course, there was this terrible heat wave, and so it was on the entire time we were filming. And I think we all got noise pollution during this, because it was this, like, 100 and... It was like a 60-cycle hum at about 130 decibels. So every piece of this dialogue is dubbed, because it's just this sound going... Everybody off camera is wearing construction hats and earplugs, and the actors had to keep working without them. Again, paging Dr. Freud. Overly explanatory maps. It's one of Mike's favorite jokes. Yes. I love unnecessary exposition, and of course me explaining that was unnecessary exposition. It seems we have no choice but to pay your ransom. At one time there was this great long speech by Michael York talking about what would happen if the volcanoes actually ever were allowed to erupt and how... It was like 18 minutes long. <laughs> and it was, it was it's such a drag to cut it out because it was the most incredible impassioned performance, but it was, it was unfortunately sort of... Um, didn't fit within the, the structure of the scene, but it was an amazing performance. It would be like a great separate movie unto itself. This was another happy accident with this rolling chair. Mike found that if he just sat back in it a little bit, it would drift like 30 feet. Because in rehearsal, we were trying to set the shot, and every time I sat down on it, it would slide like 40 feet. And so we thought we'd just leave it in. Half the time when you're working on the schedule and budget that this film had and trying to accomplish so much, you just, you know, you would you would find something funny that would, would happen, and you'd just milk it for all it was worth. Because the minute you knew it was funny and that you didn't have time to shoot a lot of other stuff that was planned, you would just... You know, shoot the hell out of it, and we did. And some of the the best stuff in these scenes was improvised. The whole shushing thing that's coming up was was something that Mike discovered on the day, and I just loved it and and shot it from every possible angle. Like to live your life, is it? I like the subtext that uh, Frau Farbissen is really Scott's mom, or that they're lovers. I can't decide. I like to think that they're lovers. I have a lot of problems. I want you to meet Daddy's nemesis. I if it's clear to people that the clothes you and Elizabeth are wearing in this scene were supposed to have been designed by Dr. Evil. I think we have that line still on the head of the scene, but I want to draw special attention to it. I'm going to place him in an easily escape. It fit the color scheme of Dr. Evil's world. The chrome and black marble. I mean, I'll go get a gun. We'll shoot him together. It'll be fun. Bang. Dead. Done. One more peep out of you, and you are grounded, mister, and I am not joking. 
All right, let's begin. Dr. Evil, do you really expect... This is right out of James Bond. Do you expect no, them to pay? No, Mr. Bond, I expect them to I die. them to die. I always love that there's a slow-moving dipping mechanism. And that they don't check. And they put them in easily escapable situations. We wanted to steal one other thing from the Bond films. I always wanted to put a rear projection thing of sharks swimming around underneath that pond and make it look like a kind of rear process, rear projection process shot um, that he just had in his lair all the time. But it had, but it had actually nothing to do with the tank. Yeah, <laughs> behind behind where you're sitting in a totally separate place <laughs> with scratches in the film. Again, a lot of um, this whole thing of uh, the layer not working and stuff, uh, I owe to uh, Jack Handy, who uh, lent it to me for this movie. The great writer who worked on Saturday Night Live and does all the deep thoughts. What was the original sequence? It was going to be um, put, you know, open the tank. You're surrounded by sharks with lasers, and then it was going to be uh, piranhas with lasers, but they were too heavy, so they sank to the bottom. And then, uh, and then it was. And then it got the sea bass. And originally we were going to have actual sharks with actual lasers, but we couldn't afford it. So we just talked about them. And we just used bubbles. <laughs> and we made it sea bass. <laughs> we used bubbles um, with a hose that was straight out of You Only Live Twice. Um, the underground layer had a, a, a kind of a bridge over a tank, and bubbles just came <laughs> whenever the, the deadly so low tech. We loved that. We so, originally were going to actually have sharks with laser brains. But I actually thought the bubbles were ultimately funnier because they were so low tech. Boom! I'll blow their brains out. Scott, you just don't get it. That was a big part of the experience of making the film is embracing low tech for its own sake and trying to have fun with it. Um, all this I'm saying. Interesting. They're going to get a. This was way longer, too. We, uh, early in the process, this got, like, a good reaction, and we had it be, like, four times as long. <laughs> that was outrageously too long. Because so we have, if we, we, there is, like, what, 15 minutes of me doing that. Oh, yeah. On film, at least. Reels and reels. And you always hear the crew step on your lines because they're laughing so hard through it. At one, at one time, that scene started with a big jello brain that you can still see from time to time in wide shots. We had a joke and it just never played. <laughs> There's always room for jello. Never played, never got a laugh. We just, you try sometimes to hope a laugh into existence. No, Austin, the floss is to swing ourselves onto the ledge. Oh. All right, hold on. Got it. Okay, toothpaste. Hello. This stunt guy was awesome. He uh, he was upside down in that water for like it almost seemed like three minutes or something. It's like Johnny Weissmuller when his head got bitten off. Yeah. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's our version of somebody decapitated right there. I think that dummy cost about 45 cents, <laughs> something like that. That's not the way to get ahead in life. No. There were scenes in the movie where you would zoom into the body of the henchman who was killed. And then you'd go to the henchman's house, uh, and the wife would receive the phone call that, you know, 
Yes, my husband's a henchman for Dr. Evil. What? Decapitated by ill-tempered mutated sea bass? Oh my god. And then the son comes in. Where's dad? He was decapitated by ill-tempered mutated sea bass. Oh no. And try and have the actual impact of a henchman's death on a henchman's family. But it went away. This was an underwater... This was another filtration plant. <laughs> we were in two filtration plants. This was the drinking water processing place over in, uh, in the North Valley. And um, <laughs> there was always the danger of ozone leaks. And so all along the hallways are stretchers. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a little scary shooting in a place where there, there's a need for stretchers every 10 <laughs> feet on the hallway. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. It's never happened. But should it happen, you die within five minutes. But it's never happened. It's a great location, though, all these pipes running down these long hallways. We did this in two takes. That's right. Come, everyone. Let us repair to the main chamber. Project Vulcan is about to begin. Scott? Don't you want to see what Daddy does for a living? Blow me. Excuse me? The idea that even Dr. Evil has problems with his adolescent son always cracked me up. Yes, we did have to lift the cart into that position. We were told not to um, bang the walls. <laughs> we put take big, huge hunks out of the wall. They get really pissed. We were told that we were jeopardizing the entire water supply of six million people in Los Angeles, but... By know, putting was, a nick in the wall. But, you know, it was, the shot was important. I also love, too, that there was that whole missile that was supposed to come, and the missile never came. <laughs> we're going to shoot. We had a whole sequence with a big, long missile, and all we got was the warhead. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to improvise. I just love, how does that happen, you know? Oh, no, no, the missile is not showing up today. Oh, well, I guess we don't get a missile in the movie. This set was pretty incredible, that rotating fireplace. You never quite get to see the whole rotation of it, but the, the fireplace is replaced by the Fembot layer. Care to have a little fun? Care to have a little fun? That's Cindy Margolis, that Fembot on the left. The internet pinup queen had more internet downloads of her, uh, I believe, without a costume. And, uh, <laughs> no, she's actually always wearing um, long swimsuits. Is that right? Yeah. She's a pinup girl with swimsuits. She's not, she's not pornographic. Paging Dr. Freud. Paging Dr. Freud. Now, if you think about it, that drill kind of looks like a penis. The suit was from Dr. No. And uh, we could only shoot in it for like four minutes, and then I'd have to be cut out of it because otherwise I would suffocate. His, his makeup would literally melt, and all the rubber prosthetics on his face would start melting. So hot inside that thing. This was a hard day of shooting. <laughs> it actually was really hard. All that hair in those costumes... It was impossible to get them all on the set at the same time. It was very difficult. 
I know it's a tough job, but <laughs> someone has to do it. Glad you said that, Mike. You can't resist us, Mr. Powers. You can't resist us, Mr. Powers. Oh, con baby. A fun scene where I get my mojo started, baby. To get crust mojination. Day. It was a tricky day because we had to shoot because the film costumes were so complex. We had to shoot Mike separately from them, and they weren't ever on the set when he was. So it was always cause effect, cause effect, cause effect, and we never knew exactly what cause was going to go with what effect. But ultimately, our editor Debbie Neal did an amazing job having his moves and his gestures sync up with with the reactions from the fembots. Again. Uh... I might uh, like to stress that that hair, <laughs> by the end of this, because I did so many takes, started to stink so bad. <laughs> it's like literally having roadkill on your chest. And there's no padding as well. Just so you know, that's all me. Mike has this impact on women in real life, too. I've seen it. This was the reprise of her mom's leather cat suit, fight suit, which we thought was a good character arc, bookend sort of thing that she had... And we also just wanted to see her in a leather suit. Let's be honest, Jed. Come on, we're not idiots. I was, I was You've got selling Elizabeth it, man. Hurley. I know you're trying to say it like it was an arc thing. You got Elizabeth Hurley. Put on the suit, please. Thank you very much. But, but, but she fulfilled her destiny as her mom's daughter. Yeah, yeah and she put on the suit, Jay. Come on. Let's not fool the people. Let's not lie to the people. It's interesting that both actresses asked to keep those suits. <laughs> Launching the subterranean probe. Begin initial surface penetration. This thing weighed something like 40 tons. This Did it really? It was so heavy. It was hooked to the crane that was designed to uh, move those generators around, that big ceiling crane that went back and forth, and that's the only way we could lower it in p into position. That was the biggest blast. <laughs> oh, the, my God. And the Gaff Squad people will notice that, it was, although it was painted to resemble a steel door, that wood starts flying out of it when it explodes. Chunks of wood flew all over the place, stuck into the walls. I just uh, thought it was important that people just blow up. <laughs> like in every shootout in all these movies, people, you throw a grenade and they get thrown... 50 feet into the air, as opposed to just getting like a ton of fragments into their body. Mike and Elizabeth are shooting from this place, and you don't see the guys off screen shooting, but they're shooting full automatic weapons with um, hot shells raining down on top of Mike Of course, and nobody told us. <laughs> I was scared. I soiled myself during that sequence because those things are loud. I'd never used a gun before either. That's the $6 million man adjustment there with the slow motion. And the slow motion, no! 
now to Dr. Evil. Din din. I want chicken. I, I do like meow mix. meow mix. Meow mix, please deliver. I've got you. Now, here's the only shot in the movie where Mike appears in both characters simultaneously in the same shot, which we, of course, did with a film optical. You and I. However, the rest of the time we used body doubles. That you stand for free love, swinging, parties are all. This was always a, a bit of a controversial scene, too, because now that he's saved the world, some might argue that the best thing to do would be to get to the end of the movie as quickly as possible. But the speech here that, that Austin delivers seemed to, in a, in a somewhat, you know, lighthearted way, uh, articulate the, the theme of the whole film. But it was always one of my favorite speeches, and I can't hear it without smiling, even though it's pretty on the nose about what the film's about. But that that's sort of... in. But that's what, I always, the movie too. that's what I always like about movies. When uh, the bad guy and the good guy get together, they always tell each other their philosophy <laughs> before they kill each other. Before I kill you, I want to tell you that I believe in tea. I, have to... I think tea is good as opposed to coffee. <laughs> that's my philosophy. There's always time for that, too. I know. As desperate and urgent as everything else is. Long-winded to... political speeches before they... You know, because in reality, you should just go up to the guy and blow his brains out. But no, I'm going to tell you about uh, land reform. It seems the tables have turned again, Dr. Evil. Not really. Kill the little bastard. See what At I one care. point, there was um, a line where I go, Oh, don't say that. That hurts um, daddy's feelings. What about last night? Two hours of hop on pop, which is a Dr. Zeus thing. But everybody thought that hop on pop was some sort of weird sex thing. Nobody, for some reason, remembered Hop on Pop. Go ahead, take Mr. Powers away. The observant here will notice that number two is escaping with a fembot in his suitcase. I spent 30 years of my life turning this two-bit evil empire into a world-class multinational. I was going to have a cover story in four... I'm such a nerd, I was just happy to hold a machine gun that day. Because I'm such a World War II fan, especially that type of European, like, commando machine gun. This was um, Robert Wagner's idea, to cry. This is a classic moment. He said, Mike, I'd like to cry. He didn't tell me about it either. And we, he, he didn't rehearse it this way. And on the first take, we all just like... Cracked up. We had to so really funny. control ourselves to keep from laughing. And he just did it like that every take. It was, so it was such a girly cry, too. It was so funny. <laughs> Look at me squinting away as I shoot. <laughs> I'm from Canada. We have gun control. I'm not used to that. I like shaky cam. Nobody ever questions how that egg shows up in the psychedelic club or here. I love that it just appears and takes off whenever Dr. Eel needs it. I like the notion of shaky cam selling explosion. This is really Mission Impossible in here. That's a nice shot. This shot. This was not at Rim of Fire or the Valley of Fire. This was at Vasquez Rocks in L.A. Ooh, cheeky. <laughs> I love that we use the stock footage here with the most possible scratches and the biggest possible grain. <laughs> I know. It looks like, looks like Super 8 that I took in the 60s. Oh, 
They got married, get it? One time there was talk of a line about how Austin had fixed his teeth, but this Look little, at the glue, Jay, look at the glue. I know, you can see the glue on his, on, <laughs> on his left tit there. <laughs> I'm telling you, she kept doing that, and I kept saying, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to come off in your hands, and she got so grossed out. Hello, Austin. Oh, I, I hope I'm... Now, this was all done pretty much without monitors, because you couldn't really see the monitors that well. No. Um, so Mike kind of was just winging this blocking and actually did a great job. All the time, this was all about timing all of these gags, and both actors nailed it. Took a lot less time to shoot this second time around because we knew the trick. Nice rack. But who in the world... I love that joke. Well, as you know, Dr. Evil has escaped in his rocket, which has disappeared from our tracking system. Oh, dear, hold on. Elizabeth has a, a peculiar um, situation in her life that photographs of her with even slightly revealing aspects can be sold for a ton of money. So we, we taped red, bright red gaffer's tape over her naughty bits in the taping of this scene. Little, little pieces, but in case there were, happened to be an accidental <laughs> reveal, nobody could then somehow pirate the footage and, and sell it in England to the tabloids. You know, this is um, very... This whole scene reminds me a lot of, uh, I grew up, you know, my, my dad was from Liverpool, England, and we watched a lot of English comedies, and this reminds me a lot of, like, the Benny Hill stuff that I saw as a kid. Right then and there. I like the little happy face. Did you feel the same way? Actually, I couldn't stop staring at your teeth. Yeah. In this case, we moved the camera to all different angles during the scene, as opposed to the first one, which was all done from one stationary camera angle. Because at that time, we were trying to do it all in one take. And in this one, we knew we would be doing it in coverage. Smashing idea, baby. Yeah. Looks like he ordered soul. <laughs> By soul, I mean both the shoe and the fish. <laughs> uh, ooh. I'm going to have a lump there, you idiot. Who throws a shoe? Honestly. You fight like a woman. And here comes the penis pump. The flag of Sweden to tell you that it's Swedish. Honestly, it's not mine. No, use it. Now I'm guessing that's how the penis pump works, because I've never used one. But I'm sure that's how it works, right? The guys at Digital Sound and Picture who did the soundtrack for us came up with this idea of an inflating balloon sound, like a squeaking balloon sound. You can hear it on the track as he's pumping it up. Always makes me laugh. Look how beautiful the night sky is. I never tire of a, of a Uranus joke. Yeah, and that looks just like Uranus. Austin. Well, you know... Hey, I've never seen that big star before. Yeah, you can really see how far she came in her look and demeanor throughout the film. Her character actually made a huge arc. Yeah, you're still trying to justify the fight suit. I'm not buying it, Chief. See, I have a snotsicle. You see that on my left nostril? And there's a little dummy of Ted Nugent. That's not the real cat. We didn't use the real cat. That's not the original The End. <laughs> we changed that. See how interesting we are? 
stay tuned. Don't turn it off yet. There's some stuff coming up during the credits. Like um, footage on the left. See there. We weren't lying. This was originally in the body of the movie, in the uh, getting to know you, getting to know all about you phase of their relationship. And then, um, again, for time, we cut it out and put it in the uh, end credits, as you can see. It used to be that while they were doing the surveillance with the big camera, he would look over and see how beautiful she was, and, and then she would pretend to be quite, well, she would be shy about the camera, but since it was Elizabeth Hurley, we thought it would be really funny to cut to her and full-on gowns and everything doing and the photo shoot. The consummate supermodel thing. But it actually turned out to be more, sort of more meaningful in terms of their, here we go on the arc thing again, but in terms of the arc of the relationship to show her um, with Austin after he'd saved the world and they'd gotten married and now she was his model and he's now taking photographs of her the way he did all the 60s models. But as Mike said, it's probably just a good excuse to get her in a lot of really great gowns. I don't know what that costume was. It was always this idea that there was a certain amount of design in the 60s that had to be so over the top that it went way beyond functionality and that you could actually make a dress where the sleeve was sewn into the dress. That's correct. This is sort of an homage to uh, Blow Up as well, the movie. The Antonioni masterpiece Blow Up. This entire sequence was shot in one day simultaneously with shooting several other scenes. We just would wait for Elizabeth to get changed into a new costume. While we were waiting, we'd go off and shoot things for the, the eight-screen opticals in the, in the beginning of the movie or some other scene. And so we couldn't really wait for scripted lines. We had to just make up what was going on. And Mike just ran around and shot pictures and came up with really funny stuff throughout the day. Let me ask you, Jay, that topless part, that's part of her arc, right? <laughs> She's topless because of the arc, right? Her character arc does actually reveal itself there as she's finally liberated by a... Yes, it's liberation. <laughs> it's the arc. That's why she's topless. I'm with you, Jay. It makes total sense. That's why she's on the ground, topless. It's the arc. Honestly. I have to justify all the money I spent in film school somehow. That's right. Whip out the arc word. This that is... bikini girl, that's part of her arc. <laughs> to be in the bikini. Because originally you'll see her in the background in the movie, and now she's liberated. This so this is, this is the band Ming T that um, I uh, used to perform with, or I still do, uh, around Los Angeles. It's uh, Matthew Sweet on bass, Susanna Hoffs on guitar, uh, Christopher Ward on um, rhythm guitar, and uh, Stuart Johnson on drums. And we've performed, and we may be performing... Uh, in a town near you. The song BBC. Jay, I know it's your wife, but she looks pretty hot there, you gotta be honest. I don't mean to make you uncomfortable, but that's part of her arc. <laughs> is that she looks hot in the video. Because <laughs> in the start of the video, she's like in dark, see? And then we <laughs> cut in closer and she looks like, you know, sexier. Because that's her art. Put on the telly. The there she is arcing away in the background. <laughs> Just arcing a storm. Arcing madly. 
Grace. And that's the end of the movie. I hope you enjoyed our little presentation. My name is Mike Myers. And I'm Jay Roach. We had fun making it. And we had fun talking about it. Bye. Bye, everybody.